Welcome, my dear DI champions, to a new episode of the We Include podcast, where we introduce the newest diversity and inclusion solutions in the market and talk to founders who, like me, think that businesses for good are good business. I am your host, Juan Eordecescu, and I am taking you to Paris, France. Joining us is the very high energy Virgil Ranjar, CEO of Figures, an easy-to-use SaaS that has raised more than $6 million in funding, betting on an easy integration with all major HR systems for instant and up-to-date compensation data. They have over 1,000 clients in not even three years and have proven a massive impact in auditing and solving for the gender pay gap, enabling organizations to balance the sheets with equity in mind. I am delighted to share this conversation with you, where we learn more about the impact of fair pay on inclusion and retention, major legislative and mindset shifts, and a thing or two about being present in the moment for one's own mental health. Grab your headphones and let's welcome Virgil. Hello, Virgil. Welcome to We Include. Thank you, Anna, for having me uh, on there. You have been extremely busy traveling across Europe and expanding figures, which is lovely to see, uh, both from like, it, it's possible, right? If you have a good idea and you want to go with it, go with it. But also for all of us working in DEI and talent management and talent strategy, um, you're bringing something super fresh in the market. So we are here to talk to you today uh, around that. And I hope we can dive as deep as possible in the next 25 minutes. Love it. Can't wait. So um, Virgil, tell us a little bit about yourself first. Okay, so I'll I, I try to start at uh, when it's relevant, right? I have a bit of a weird background in the sense that I graduated in um, computer science first and then moved to a master's degree in human resources. So I have this weird combination that you don't see often that having very much of a data and computer science background and then being interested into HR and I started uh, working into HR. At the time it was called HR, right? Not mm -hmm. people ops. It's not, it's not that cool to say HR anymore, but I, I still say HR at the time. Uh, in compensation, uh, I was started working in compensation in very large organization, then started working as a human resources generalist, then um, in France and in Australia, because I did two years and a half in Australia. And then I worked three years as a HR uh, business partner, then HR director in Quiteo, right? Yeah. Where we both have ties there. And, um, and then I moved on to be VP of people operations of a startup, a post-series A startup. Right, because I wanted to start. I wanted to see the thrill of starting fresh from mm -hmm. a from a blank page. Uh, I did that for two years, and this is where I decided to create figures because I was tired of two things. Right, I was tired of the lack of reliable compensation market data for startups. Yeah. First, and two, I was I was tired of the lack of uh, of tooling around compensation. It felt like my whole career, I did work on like spreadsheets whenever it came to compensation and analysis and so on. And I felt like it's, uh, it's needed to be changed, right, in a way. Yeah. Well, uh, you, you're going to laugh, but this morning I saw a TikTok about competitions like e-gaming for Excel. So <laughs> those spreadsheets and those Excel are still very good, but uh, I think it's time for us to move forward to tooling that actually is reliable. And this is exactly what Figures is doing. Um, I've seen somehow the impact already in, in, in our markets, um, but somehow I'm interested to hear from you, what are some of the, let's say, unique insights or perspectives that you bring to the compensation analytics field, um, somehow differentiating you from the business? In general, organizations doing talent management and comp and ben, they rely on kind of 
historical partners, uh, yep. <laughs> legacy contract, right? Um, and and you're bringing something fresh. Yeah. So I think compared to them, when it comes to the data, there's two things that I think are main differentiators with them. One is the fact that we're we're trying to be as real time as possible, right? So mm -hmm. the way we gather data is from companies, our client companies, right? So we have 1,200 uh, companies participating to figures as of today and sharing with us their employee compensation information securely, anonymously, and through HR integrations, right? Connection with their HR, yes, connection mm -hmm. with their Personio, Luca, Bamboo, HiBob, and the like, right? And this real-time information is, I think, much better than historical counterparts, which gather information like once a year, and by the time you receive mm -hmm. the data, it's like six months to a year or a year and a half old, right? So I think the first thing. And the second thing is, because of the historical players, partly because of the lack of real-time, the lack of tooling, have not been adopted by startup, meaning they mm -hmm. don't have any compensation data for the startup environment. We do. We have the best data set in Europe for startups and scale-ups and young uh, up-and-coming tech companies. So that is also a differentiator with them. I think this is really interesting indeed because um, you don't necessarily have one, the knowledge, two, maybe the budgets, and three, maybe even the, the the capabilities to access those, let's say, more historical type of resources. But I, I've seen something recently as well around which kind of challenges. And I think you were, somebody made a post about like, what happens when fig, more figures companies like figures are in the market will we see more fragmented data instead of like benefiting from that let's say monolith of data that these traditional providers would offer what's what's your take there because i could see some truth in that but i also love the real timeness of things and the let's say personalization for whatever companies need so there's a little bit of pros and cons yeah there is right so more data source at the end i think is can be complex for some uh, companies and HR to manage, but in a way, a lot of them end up focusing on some part of the industry, right? So I think while we remain very strong on startup and scale-up, the best uh, in Europe, there's other historical players might be better into more industrial players or more service companies in which we're not strong in. So there'll be all pros and cons in, in each data set and each area that I think each HR person can navigate to. And, and one of your last points, though, that I didn't mm -hmm. mention beforehand, which I think was very good, smaller companies, sometimes they don't have the capacity, the tooling, the knowledge, the time to do some analysis based on market information, right? So this is mm -hmm. why one of the things I try to do from day one in figures is be like, we're going to run some analysis for you. We're going to tell you how you compare to the market. We're going to tell you where you have issues in your organization and we're going to tell you where you have issues including potentially gender pay gap issues we're going to compute we compute the gender pay gap for every client company coming here while most of those organizations some of those organizations were too small to have to do this analysis by themselves mm -hmm. right so i really believe in the power of bringing value not only from the data but also from the the work we can do through our product. Accessibility, for sure. And you've been a pioneer. Uh, the moment I've noticed, I think it was just you and your co-founder initially, I noticed you're trying to do something around like pay equity. And two, three years later now, we have a pay transparency law that is kind of wrecking havoc in the US. It's coming in hard on EU um, uh, different states and different, let's say, uh, timing of implementation. But you have been a pioneer. You have been leading this conversation from the get-go. Um, what are some of the, let's say, um, areas of impact that you already see when it comes to addressing equity and inclusion challenges for, for organizations? 
Yeah, so multiple, there, multiple points there, right? So from a very personal uh, basis, my end of studies uh, thesis of my master's degree was on the gender pay gap. So it's, it's a topic that like I've known for years and I've studied for years and I've been fascinated with. Mm-hmm. When I started Figures, very early on, I was like, I was asking companies for their gender information. And because, not because the gender was relevant to any compensation benchmarking, but because I was like, okay, we can do something with it. And in fact, in the first version of Figure, we had we installed this uh, gender equality dashboard very early on because we wanted to bring uh, information and bring transparency to the market. And you know, one key point is in everywhere when you look at market data and figures, even by default, when you look at a job, let's say you look at the salaries for like a senior backend developer in Berlin, mm-hmm. we're going to display the gender pay gap on that role. We're going to mm-hmm. tell you how many women are in that role and the gender pay gap because we think that we have the, we're on a mission to help more bring more transparency to the market. And so to your point, Amazing to see. Amazing mm-hmm. to see since then the laws and the market changes around pay transparency because pay transparency is going to bring more equality, is going to bring, is going to help in that regard. Because what we've proven in a study internally, right, we've asked 600 of our clients about how transparent they were when it comes to compensation, right? Was they were fully, like, not transparent at all, transparent on their compensation policy, mm-hmm. on their salary grade, or on their internal salaries, so sharing everyone's salaries, which we do at Figures, by the way. What we showed is the more transparent the company, on the sample of 600, 550 companies, I think it was, the more transparent the company when it comes to compensation, the lower the gender pay gap. And when you took companies with transparent salaries, there's zero gender pay gap. So zero gap between men and women working on the same role. So we've proven that more transparency Egal a better gender pay gap. And sadly, because of the legislation in France, we can only work on gender pay gap and other type of diversity, right? Because of regulation. But there's lots of reasons to think that transparency is going to help as well, reducing inequity amongst other type of diversity and not only gender. Yeah, I think that's where we hope to get. And each country will have its own challenges. So you were were saying about France. And when I was working there, I was somehow baffled by the fact that France, French legislation does not recognize race uh, or has a substitute for it in any way. And I think about 20% of the workforce in France is from North Africa. And there's definitely a discrimination pattern there. And there's definitely lack of support in in sustaining these populations. And it's a very different conversation in the UK, very different uh, conversation in Spain and so on. So you you have a long fight ahead of you. Yeah, but uh, you know, it's super interesting. This is cultural. It's, I, I'm fascinated by that, right? Yeah. So the, the the way two cultures can approach a topic of diversity very differently. And if we took two examples of France and like the US, right? Mm-hmm. The US approach is if we want to be better in terms of diversity, we get to measure what matters. So measuring mm-hmm. will help fight diversity. Meanwhile, France as a culture of historically, since we don't want to ask because it could yeah. be used to discriminate. Right? So it's, yeah. it's, I find it insane how the well, same Second World War has. <laughs> yeah. Has changed some stuff. But yeah, it's, it's cultural impact. It's like culture. It's not employment law at the beginning. At the beginning, it's culture. But you know, I think it's changing because in France, it is. I talked to someone at the at the Minister of Diversity and like Equality mm-hmm. and they said they were pushing for laws to introduce more ability to measure stuff like that to measure yeah. but race I think people are not ready but so things such as like social origin and things like that that's going to progress I think we're trending in the direction of measuring mm-hmm. more yeah, and it's so. not uh, for sure 
And you were saying you're going on holiday to Norway. Uh, the Scandinavian countries actually have just developed their own systems. And they said, hey, you know what? We actually do have a lot of challenge when it comes to measuring and counting and, and devising solutions for these things. But you actually started saying that, you know, out of your, let's say, 600 organizations that you measured around like transparency ratio, some are fascinating um, uh, in terms of their approach, generating success, successful stories. Um, I'm I'm fine on this podcast to name names if you want to mm-hmm. drop some names, like who's mm-hmm. doing the right thing. Um, but is there, do you get any signal around how people actually experience it? How does it help, I don't know, generational wealth? How does it help um, buying power? How does it help retention? Um, because it's not just about the pay. Pay matters, but for all the other reasons, right? Yeah, the, of course. So you might, I have a lot of examples of uh, companies that are doing uh, I think are going great things when it comes to diversity and, and overall when it comes to compensation, right? If we focus on, on diversity, what's interesting is that two of the companies who are being the most progressive and I think the better at addressing diversity topics are US-based or US-influenced companies, mm-hmm. right? So we had mm-hmm. like Dashlane, for example, I know they've been a client, mm-hmm. historical clients of yours are doing great things. Measuring it, there have been, and you know, uh, Camille, who was one of our first clients at, at Dashlane, she was one of the first to be like, use our dashboard and be like, let me, help me understand your dashboard, help me understand the gender pay gap, help me understand, because in our dashboard there's multiple things, the representation of women among top earners, help me know how I can improve. Mm-hmm. I know she was one of the best examples the company was, Zenly as well, you know, Zenly is a company that yeah. was acquired by Snapchat and sadly, shut down very recently. Same thing. They were super strong and I think Claire over there did a lot of things in caring about the, those topics. And I think it's because they had their US, uh, a bit of a US culture to them mm-hmm. helping push those topics. And mm-hmm. I have to say that I think most US-based companies or US-cultured companies are a bit stronger and ahead of us when it comes to purely addressing the diversity topics. Then I have other good examples of companies doing cool stuff mm-hmm. other than that. But... Uh, but when it comes to diversity, I think most of the good examples were US-based companies or very US-influenced companies. And I think they, they have a higher trust in data models and higher experience with like playing around and experimenting. So somehow uh, seeing figures as, as something that can help them in a new territory is just like, you know, God, God sent type of gift. Um, looking ahead, what are some of the future plans for growth, expansion with figures? What do you envision somehow? So we just released our, our, our module on uh, helping companies create, update, and share salary bands, right? So it's interesting, right? So instead of managing salary bands on like spreadsheets, creating salary grid, creating your salary grid, sharing it, and so on, which I've done on my career, which is a massive pain, uh, we are helping companies do it on figures, therefore aligning it with real-time market data, updating it a lot more easily, being updated, being notified when the grid and the market is moving compared to their grid, and sharing it, right? And sharing it more easily to managers and then to employees and then to candidates. The vision is that we're going to help companies, empower companies to be more transparent about pay. Mm-hmm. One of the reasons being, as we said, we are strong believers that transparency brings fairness and our company mm-hmm. mission at figure is to help companies make efficient and fair compensation decisions so we really think that this module is in a, a good step into the, the direction towards efficiency and fairness for companies very cool are you growing your own team are you working with partners for these um, let's say new initiatives well we're growing our own team mostly yeah, yeah. 
Okay, yeah. so Virgil is hiring for everybody listening. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. We're hiring and we have transparent uh, salary <laughs> ranges on our job ads if you want to apply to our jobs. We're trying to be pioneered and to help companies progress in that area as well. Yes, 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 yes. And this is actually going into kind of um, my interest as well as, as you walking the talk, right? So somehow uh, going and selling um an, a, a product or uh, even just a mindset, right? About inclusive leadership, create inclusive leadership in your organization. You yourself need to be an inclusive leader. Um, and I'm very curious because you're, you're expanding, but you're also have worked with many different cultures. Um, and um, I'm, I'm curious somehow, how do you navigate the cultural and regional differences while expanding this reach, both in, in team and in clients? Yeah, it's it's a very, very good point, right? So I think, yeah, when it comes to compensation, we're trying to lead by example in terms uh -huh. of transparency, structure, measuring, and so on. So that I've talked a, a bit about it and we could, but when it comes to like cross-cultural differences, what has been, honestly, what has been most interesting and a challenge with figures is that we've, we've tried to go to be a European product very early on, right? A year mm. after, I think, uh, the Sarah who manages our German market is it was like our fifth or sixth hire. Mm -hmm. And then we launched the UK a few months afterwards. And so we are, we've been very early on in the European companies, but to begin with, it was like a few people in the UK, in the Netherlands, in Spain, and most of the people being French-centric. And I think it's been one of the issues has been a European company being too France and French-centric in some of the culture and so on. And this is, mm -hmm. so the simple fact of bringing more Uh, people from different cultures, different backgrounds has helped transform the company DNA. But also one example we took, uh, one decision we took very recently, like two or three weeks ago, is we're a hybrid company. So we have offices mm -hmm. in Paris and then remote people everywhere. We decided not to bring back everyone to Paris every two months, mm -hmm. which we used to. And instead we've allowed for, we still have company retreats and offsite, but allowed for a budget for everyone to visit each other in different locations, to have a more decentralized approach. Because I, I think that bring, bringing everyone back to Paris was sending the one message into this thing. It's a Parisian-based yeah. or centric company. Yeah. And now it's more, now it's a European company. If you want to, everyone has like 600 euros per quarter mm -hmm. to travel and visit their colleagues. If you want yeah. to go work in Berlin with our Berlin-based team or in London mm -hmm. or in Amsterdam, you can go there and do it, right? And I think sends the right message into being more decentralized, more cross-cultural company instead of being French-centric one in a way. And while I'm sure everybody would love to visit Paris at least once. They can. They can. <laughs> They can. Uh, but I think it's a, it, this message is important, especially when you're, you know you're going to scale and you know you want to touch and understand those cultures and kind of bring in any type of knowledge that um, you find um, in those folks uh, without necessarily putting people in, in the box, which let's say could be French or could be UK or could be German and so on. Um, and decentralization is, is something that you can do, I guess, when you're not too big. So I'm, let's, let's talk in five years. <laughs> But uh, you, you're definitely, I, I, I see your folks and um, the engagement, I can feel it, right? Through LinkedIn posts, I can feel it through the conversations with other people and you're doing a good job. So I'm, I'm not going to go there too much, but I know this job is hard, right? And um, part of the mission of this podcast is also to shed a light on the struggles of entrepreneurs uh, that have to do with DEI business. Businesses for good are still businesses, but 
um, I think they have an extra coefficient of difficulty somehow. Um, and uh, a year ago when I, when I chatted you, you were telling me about your cycling and you were telling me about some of the things that you do to keep yourself balanced and to recharge. Um, what are some of these, let's say, um, uh, areas of uh, energy that you, you tap into when you feel you're like, okay, it's, it's time? Um, so you're right that it's, a, it's an ongoing challenge, right? It's, I, I think it's very tough. I think there's like the, the time spent into the work. So let's, state, let's first say that I've, I've never been happier at work, right? I, mm-hmm. I love what I do and I'm very, yeah, I feel very fulfilled in what I do, but it takes an awful lot of time and energy. And I think the biggest thing, right, it's not long hours at work, even though sometimes it happens, because also I have a family. Like, I have daughters uh, to take care mm-hmm. of. Tonight, I'm going to take care of my daughter. I'm going to bring them to school tomorrow. So I can't stay work. I have yeah. to leave at 6.15 uh, tonight, uh, regardless. But the biggest issue is, I think, the disconnecting the mind, in a way, right? Yeah. So Because sometimes... You can be physically present with my kids, mm-hmm. but I can be like, okay, thinking about our new product, mm-hmm. our latest feature, pricing, a discussion we had or whatever. And this is super, super tough, right? So I think two things, one in terms of activity, yes, cycling has always been just cycling home and back and cycling a bit more on the weekend and mm-hmm. it has been huge for me. It's one of my only state of meditation. Right? I try to meditate. I yes. can't find a way to meditate. And cycling, <laughs> I'm with you on that one. Yeah, so I never, everyone was like, I should try meditation. I tried. I tried a bunch of time. Couldn't. So my meditation is cycling or swimming in uh, open water. So I love swimming. That's the only thing that uh, enables me to to distress a bit. And also, you know, just trying to be in the moment. It sounds very cliche, right? To be, Mm -hmm. when I'm with my daughters, is to be in the moment. Try to focus on being there. And and it's it's tough at times, mentally there, but that's what helped me uh, disconnect, really. Are you excited for the new Netflix show on uh, Tour de France? I actually started watching it. Uh, <laughs> I actually started watching it indeed. So I'm more than excited. I'm starting to watch it as we go. Um, this is somehow ultimately a work that can transcend even yourself, right? Like can stay. Um, because while let's say some industries or some countries might do progress, change doesn't happen at the same time everywhere. What is somehow your call out to the industry? If you are to kind of say, it would be amazing if we could fix this tomorrow and we're out of business, but you're not going to be out of business tomorrow, but you still need support somehow. What is your call out to the industry when it comes to compensation, equity, and let's say fairer um, decisions for, for people in labor? I think it start by um, measuring where you are, right? Mm-hmm. Being being open and, and, and real about where you are, what your status are. Look at, have a look at money. Have a look at people uh, pay, people pay between themselves, people pay compared to their role. And I think the biggest, you know, the biggest factor is, is once again, comes back to transparency. So you're right in a way that the more transparency there is, the more our business could be affected. The part of our business is to have access to proprietary information that will less, be less and less valuable mm-hmm. the more transparency there is on the market. But still, the biggest call-out is don't wait for legislation to pass, right? We briefly talked about this. The U.S. has started. Mm-hmm. Europe is coming in with a new directive on pay transparency coming into effect the next few years. Don't wait for the law to be the main driver. Be proactive, start being more transparent, start being more transparent internally, start educating, informing your employees, start being open about who you are as an employer, how much you pay, how you decide who gets paid what. And I think transparency is going to bring a lot more, um, a lot more fairness because mm-hmm. we've talked about that. Right? Transparency is going to bring more information, it's going to bring more fairness, it's going to reduce negotiation, which has yeah. a huge impact on the gender pay gap. It's going to bring more fairness, but I think it's going to bring more 
you know, more engagement from employees. It's going to yeah, bring trust. trust. Exactly, trust. Transparency brings trust, and trust, I think, yeah. brings engagement, and engagement brings also better business results. So even if you don't believe in transparency for the sake of fairness or for whatever, I think just, I think there's a business reason to be transparent because it's going to bring engagement, it's going to bring efficiency. The same way that, in fact, have a look at diversity. It's proven that diversity, yeah. even if you don't believe in it, you should do it for the sake of business efficiency. Thank you so much, Virgil. It's been a pleasure. Thank you, Anna. Thank you for having me. Pleasure on my side as well. Thank you so much for staying with us for the entire episode. You are the best. If you enjoyed this conversation, subscribe to the We Include podcast on Spotify or the podcast provider of your choice. And don't forget to share in your networks. It's highly appreciated. You can find me on LinkedIn for suggestions of initiatives and topics you'd like to see covered in future episodes. They are coming out weekly. Till next time, take care. <laughs>